Well, forget about it. Are you kidding me? I just watched a clip of um the Jersey Shore Twilight uh skit. Do you remember that? Nope. Really? Was not into either fandoms, so. Well, I wasn't like super into Jersey Shore. I dabbled. This was before I got really into trash TV. But I was very into Twilight. And so I saw like everything that had anything to do with Twilight. <laughs> and it's really funny. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing chapter 30, Stone Garden. The epigraph of this chapter talks about an overview of Dimity Keep. This is the keep later on that we find out that Starling was originally part of and was uh, the one that she was serving after her master bard who was teaching her passed away. She stayed around there. So... It goes in an overview of basically what happened to it during the Red Ship Raiders, uh, the war, how it was a very, very small keep. And because of the lack of resources that it had, the lack of funds, the lack of defensive, you know, net surrounding the coast mm -hmm. of the six duchies, it was kind of left to itself. And the old master of the keep led a final defense where they were defeated, and the Red Ship Raiders kind of easily took the keep after that. Lord Bronze was his name. Yes, and it talks a little bit about how the goal of the Red Ship Raiders was to attack these smaller, easier keeps so that they could weaken the defense as a whole. Yeah, definitely, and it worked. Right, and this happened before Regal was crowned king. We start in on this chapter with them having left the skill road. They are walking on a normal road now, so Fitz is very much in the clear and he's having a very nice, pleasant day while everyone else around him is grumbling about the different roots that are growing out and everything like that because <laughs> this road has not worn the ravages of time that well and it has become overrun by nature. Yes. And it doesn't have a magic, <laughs> a magic fortitude to it to keep it a road. Right. And this is something that nobody else has been used to like fits because they have all been keeping to the magic right, road. Exactly. So it is a new terrain. Night Eyes is very happy with this new change of terrain as well, because one, the road isn't around. <laughs> we he kind of shied away from that anyways. But two, it is warmer here, as we mentioned last chapter as well. So he has been trotting back and forth, walking next to Ketrakin purposefully and then ranging forward again and kind of roaming all over the place right he nine eyes also mentions that there are wild boars around and that he wants to hunt them tonight with fitz and the fool mm -hmm. the fool declines saying that he has not lost any wild pigs so he will not go hunting for any wild pigs <laughs> but they make a plan to do that and fitz is kind of remembering the story that injured Beric, the wild boar that 
was going to charge down chivalry and Birk saved him from in his gimp legs. So he's like, maybe rabbits. Maybe we <laughs> hunt rabbits instead. And Night Eyes is kind of chastising him for being a coward. Yes. But, you know, safe, which is good. <laughs> so uh, the Fool and Fitz are walking together. They're kind of spaced out. Kettle's walking a little bit slower with Starling at this point, I believe, and Ketrakin is ahead of them. And... They have somewhat of a privacy. Yeah, I think Ketrickin is with the two other women. Oh, I think okay. they're all in a group. Gotcha. At least that's the way it seemed to me. Gotcha. Either way, they have a little bit of privacy. Yes. A little bit of distance so they can talk low and, and not be overheard. So Fitz is asking some pointed questions about Starling to the Fool. Basically, why he is going along and not confronting her about misgendering him or anything like that. And, of course, the fool, in, in the good mood that he was last chapter, at the end of last chapter, he's kind of glancing aside all of these verbal blows and, and trying to, you know, wind his way through it with wordplay, things like that. But Fitz is fairly determined and keeps his gaze steady on the fool, to which the fool kind of finally answers... Perhaps the truth is, I fear to show her my proof, lest ever afterwards she find all other men a disappointment. He glanced meaningfully at himself. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, he makes a joke and Fitz glares at him a little bit. It says he looks at him levelly, but I'm guessing it's just kind of... <laughs> An angry glare. Yeah, like, come on. <laughs> and the fool finally replies seriously. What does it matter what she thinks? Let her think whatever is easier, easiest for her to believe. Meaning, she needed someone to confide in, and for a time chose me. Perhaps it was easier for her to do that if she believed I was a woman also. And he talks about the great importance that humankind attaches to what he calls plumbing. <laughs> and he never quite understood that. And Fitz kind of chimes in like, well, what well, is important? And... That's basically all the fool replies. It's like, it's just plumbing. It's not that important. Right. And I think this is really interesting because we get to the fool's aloof nature and we see that he doesn't really care for gender in the way that mm -hmm. the people of the six duchies that he has been around seem to. Yeah. And that he doesn't really care if she thinks that he's a woman. It doesn't really matter either way, because he knows who he is. And he is hurt by it, as he mentions a little bit later as well. Right. But for all intents and purposes, yeah, he doesn't really care, even if it is such a personal assumption or questions without thoughts for his feelings hurts right. him. Right. So Fitz kind of asks him, hey, can't you just tell her you're a man and lay it to rest? Like, confront her. Tell her no, and this is how it is. And the fool makes a comment here that kind of ties into the previous thoughts that we had uh, when we were discussing the fool's attitude towards Starling. I think this was when they were still in jean -Pay. That he says, if I did that, she would want to know why, if I am a man, I do not desire her. It would have to be either a fault in me or something I perceived as a fault in her. 
because she's a minstrel, she thinks that, you know, every topic, no matter how private, should be a topic of discussion. Right. So I have no need to confront her because that's the fool's thoughts. He, he thinks that Starling is a woman who thinks every man should be interested in her. Yes. And I think in his own way, this is a kindness by not confronting her. Yeah. Because he recognizes there's something there that like clearly isn't is above him that he doesn't understand and if it makes her feel more comfortable to think that he's a woman to get through this encounter then he's not gonna push what he knows on her right and i think that's really important because coming up fitz accuses him of not being nice to her and that he could be nicer and it's just really interesting because i think this is the fool being nice and just ignoring it. <laughs> yeah, I think it is being nice. But then when F- when Fitz asks that, he like drives the barbs in harder. <laughs> it's kind of right. funny. <laughs> we'll get there. But. Yes, yeah. But I do, I do want to say that I, I think that this points towards the fool's intention being kindness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So he mentions again that minstrel part that she thinks that everything should be spoken out loud. Nothing is too private, and. Better than just a discussion, it should be made into a song. And so he composes a song and sings out a little verse, which is very fun. Do you want to read it at all? (laughs) Sure, but I do need to say that the fool not only makes up the song and sings it, he gets up on a log and acts so similarly to how Starling does before she starts a song that Fitz is mortified because it is very clear who he is mocking here. Mm-hmm. And he sings the song. Oh, when the fool pisses, pray tell what's the angle. Did we take down his pants? Would he dimple or dangle? <laughs> and then he takes a bow. <laughs> yep. And of course, Starling reddens from embarrassment. Kettle catches her sleeve as she's about to like kind of storm off and they're both glaring at Fitz <laughs> for some reason <laughs> and Fitz is just kind of like I I can't do anything to control <laughs> right and the fool keeps on down the path but mm-hmm. it is it's a little bit funny it is it is funny <laughs> but it is at the expense of Starling right which is less funny And I think that's an interesting character flaw with the fool. I guess I don't know. Some people might not think it's a flaw, but especially in these books, it seems like the fool cannot distinguish. I don't know if he's doing he knows what he's doing, but it seems like he can't help but barb people. And it's almost like a defense mechanism, I guess. But I don't know. Fitz notes it later on in this chapter as well that at Buckkeep it didn't seem so bad because he was fulfilling his role as you know the king's fool he that's kind of was his job and those little barbs and that nudging actually helped Fitz in a way Mm -hmm. you know he he was hurt by the fool often but it showed that somebody cared and you know whatever right he related to him a little bit more but in a small group it just digs all the deeper because you're literally making fun of one person out of five others. Yeah. You know, this yeah. Is, it, it's pretty rough if you're just trying to like out loud singing, making fun of somebody. 
Yeah, it's not fun. But to be fair, I think it is personally to sorry to interrupt, but like to go on to what you said before that. Personally, I do think it's a flaw of his. Yeah. In in as the fool, it's a flaw of his. I think I think it is a like a a mechanism of protection. I think he's doing Mm -hmm. it because his feelings are hurt. And I mean, it would be pretty hurtful for even your close friend to be like, okay, well, can't you just prove one way or the other who you are? And it's like, why don't you just take me at my word? Like, yeah. why why does it matter this much to you at all? Just let me be who I want to be. And which, which is what Fitz confronts him with. And then the fool responds back with that. He's, yeah. Fitz is like, why can't you be, you know, friendly to her? And he's like, I gave it as much thought as she gave whether such an allegation might hurt my feelings. And... That's true. Like, yeah, no one really considered the fool's feelings in either approach, either Fitz or Starling in this. Right. And I think it's really important that he points that out, because I think a lot of times whenever something bad happens to someone and they react negatively, the focus is always on the negative reaction of the person who was hurt and not on why they reacted negatively to begin with. And so it's really it's really good that fools calling out that double standard here of Mm -hmm. well why should i care if you guys don't care that she's acting that way towards me yeah and also how would you feel if i asked you to prove that you were a man right (laughs) you know like (laughs) (laughs) so he he kind of settles that conversation by saying let her call me she all she wants and i will do my best to ignore it and that's that's it and fool makes a comment in his head i should have left it alone I did not. It is only that she thinks that you love me, I tried to explain. And then they have, I think, the first age-old argument that Fitz and the Fool have throughout all of these series of the Fool loves you, Fitz. Yes. With everything. It's a really, really interesting conversation. So Fitz says in the way he's trying to explain that she thinks that you love me, And the fool just gives him a weird look and says, I do, which flusters fits. And he says, well, no, not like that. Like the way a man loves a woman. And the fool sighingly asks, well, in what way is that? And Fitz says for betting. (laughs) So he He says for betting and then for dot, 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 like he was trying to think of something else to say. Yeah, like (laughs) what's the difference? And and the fool says you are confusing plumbing for love again this kind of makes Fitz mad and says it's more than the plumbing (laughs) and I do feel bad because I think Fitz is really frustrated here and he's trying to get his point across but he doesn't have the language that he wants to use to do it and I think it's probably something he hasn't really given a ton of thought to Mm -hmm. in his life ever what is the difference between a man loving a man and a man and a woman and the difference between platonic love versus romantic love and he just doesn't know how to express his feelings very well on the best of days and here he is trying to outwit the fool right (laughs) but the fool tries to make him see that what he's saying doesn't make sense by bringing Molly into the conversation. Mm -hmm. He asks if the only reason he loves Molly is for betting her and Fitz, of course gets angry at that. Right. And says, no, I love Molly for every part of her. 
There now, you have said it, the fool replied as if I had proven his point for him. And I love you and all that is part of you. He cocked his head and the next words held a challenge. And do you not return that to me? So I, I do love the relationship between the two of them. However, the fool, I think, is not is is purposely being very obtuse in trying yes. to grasp Fitz's meaning or what he, Fitz is trying to portray and just kind of like grabs at what he wants as a response from Fitz. He is leading Fitz to his own conclusions, which is great. Fitz needs to think through some of these things. Right. But it is ignoring some of the, <laughs> the points that Fitz is trying to make, I think. Right. The, the undertones. And I think even if even if Fitz isn't doing a great job of communicating what he means, it's very clear what he means. Yeah. And the fool is not just letting it go or being like, okay, sure. He is making Fitz think on it. And it is interesting. Fitz does reply to this this challenge <laughs> rather rather funnily to be honest <laughs> you know i love you i said it last grudgingly after all that after all that has been between us how can you even ask but i love you as a man loves another man here the fool leered at me mockingly <laughs> then a sudden glint lit his eyes and i knew that he was about to do something awful to me <laughs> he leaped on top of a fallen log from the height he gave Starling a triumphant look and cried dramatically. He loves me, he says, and I love him. And then a whoop of wild laughter, he leapt down and raced ahead of me on the trail. <laughs> Again, he throws the barb towards Starling, which I don't like. No. You already kicked her once, fool. You don't need to do it again. Yeah. But Kettle laughs at that too, by Kettle the way. Kettle does laugh. <laughs> But I think this is a really interesting conversation between the two of them because I think there is love there. I think it it plays to an important conversation about love and what love is and how a lot of people think that love is something that is romantic and that it has to be romantic or paternal. Like you love your family members and then you love your spouse or significant other. And I don't think a lot of people take time to appreciate like a platonic sort of love. Yeah. And whether or not that's what the fool is talking about here, I'm not really sure. I want to say that it's more platonic in this moment. I think. Trying they, to get that, uh, at least that point across to Fitz. Yeah. Yes. And I think that it is important because I personally am somebody who I will say I love you to all of my friends all the time. I've always been that way. And I've had people come up to me and say, you know, you can't just say I love you willy nilly like that. And I'm like, why? I love these people. Like, yes, it's at different levels or different types of love happening. But I think that being able to tell people that you love that you love them is important mm -hmm. because everybody wants to feel loved. And I think that like I draw on that personal experience when I read this part of The Fool being like, well, why do you have such a hang up on the idea that I might love you and having Fitz say out loud that like we both love each other? I don't know. I think it's really important. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's interesting that Fitz says I shouldn't have to say this out loud. And, you know, like, of course, I love you when 
how would the fool know that? Because different love languages. Yeah, they, I, it's a thing. I read a post. This is the acts of service, you know. <laughs> yes, I read a post a really long time ago about how the fool needs the words. Yeah, needs to hear Fitz say words, and Fitz wants the actions that show. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just think it's really interesting. It was a little bit more in depth than that, obviously. And this is a long time ago, so I don't really even remember where I saw it. But I just thought I I keep that in mind, especially in scenes like this, where the fool seems to be challenging Fitz to talk. And Fitz is like, why should I have to say this out loud? But I don't know. Which could also go back to his wit a little bit of like, why do I need to vocalize this? Right. You should just be able to tell. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And not to say that he has like full, you know, sense of other people's emotions or anything like that, but he seems to grasp things, except the things that directly relate to him. Right. (laughs) He's a little obtuse in that area. But I do like this scene because we do get to touch on the topic of love and what that means and why can't it be between (laughs) friends or a man and a man? Who cares? So the fool races off after that triumphant cry. And Fitz once again looks back and then sees Starling and knows that she's probably very angry at this point and reflects a little bit on what he has lost with their friendship, how he misses that human connection, about how she has distanced herself from him because of the wit and why and how she thinks it's an abomination says she was not the first to be dismayed by it. At least she showed some tolerance for me. But now the anger she carried would have a more personal bite to it. So he's, again, we confront a lot of these feelings and his thoughts later on in this chapter when he and Starling speak to one another about all of this. But it does go to show how we live in Fitz's head because that is the perspective that we have. It's, Okay, after Night Eyes came, we saw one little scene where she was like, oh my gosh, you're like actually witted. And like, oh, he shares everything with you. Okay, and then they are not really close after that. Right. But that coincides with other things. So Mm -hmm. it's it's one-sided because we only see Fitz's point of view until he talks to people, which isn't often. Right. He also, about this, says, one more small loss of what little I had left which I underlined because it made me so frustrated. I think when Fitz gets like this, I get the most frustrated because it's like, what do you mean it's a loss? You haven't even tried to save it. Right. It's not. (laughs) He feels like he can't approach somebody after he thinks that they hate him. Yes. Which relatable, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. If I think somebody hates me, I'm not about to be like, Hey, do you hate me? I just am like, okay, cool. I guess I'll just like (laughs) tiptoe around. But I'm not the one whose life is being written about. So (laughs) it's much easier for me to judge Fitz, I suppose. But also I do worry for him, I suppose. But I'm frustrated that he can't see that he is just assuming. It's all he's not talking to her at all. There are no words at all. He's just okay, this must be what it means, and nobody said otherwise, so I guess it that has to be it. There can be no other reasoning. <sighs> Fitz. 
as he's thinking these thoughts, thinking that he misses the human connection, he has a sudden intrusive thought where that warmth kind of jumps to Molly and Nettle. Both in danger because of me. Without warning, my heart was in my throat. And then he says, I must not think of them, and reminded himself that there's nothing he can do, that sort of thing. I kind of underline those because in the next little bit here, he catches up with the fool again, and I don't think that sudden jump towards Molly and Nettle is his mind no. specifically doing it, because he continues on thinking, like, oh, I, I can't do anything to warn them. It'll just tip the, possibly tip Regal's henchmen off where they are, that sort of thing. He catches up with the fool here, whose merriment seems to have deserted him, and he reminds himself that he scarcely knew where Molly and Birik were. Oh, I knew the name of a nearby village, but as long as I kept that to myself, they were safe. What you know, I can know. What did you say? I asked the fool uneasily. His words had replied so exactly to my thoughts that it sent a chill up my spine. I said, What you know, I can know, he repeated absently. Why? Exactly my thought. Why would I wish to know what you know? No, I mean, why did you say that? In truth, Fitz, I've no idea. The words popped into my head and I said them. I often say things I have not well considered. The last he said, almost as an apology. As do I, I agreed. And that's our first little jump, rereading here, that's our first little jump of them trying to control the conversation through the fool. Mm-hmm. That's him prying. He, he immediately jumps from, oh, I miss the warmth of, you know, human connection to, oh, Molly and Nettle. I miss them a lot. And then Fitz being like, oh, no, 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 I can't think of them. I have to protect them. And then his mind again kind of being led. I don't even know where they are. Right. I know a village nearby. I, I don't know where they are. And then the fool mimics that. Yes. I think the thought, I don't even know where they are, is Fitz's own thought. Mm-hmm. Because he had such a strong thought of, I need to warn them, that it's just, oh, I think it's more natural for him to lead into the, well, I don't even know where they are, so there's no way I could tell them. But I do think that the thought of Molly being in danger was for sure some skill. Trying trying to get him on that thought yeah. track. And to be honest, uh, the Coterie is working fast because this is like, I don't know, maybe a few hours after Fool had opened himself to the skill for the first time mm-hmm. where they had they saw their past lives, if you want to call it that, of the other prophet and catalyst. So it hasn't been that long and they've already found him and are able to use him. It's a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. And it's very subtle as well. Yes. And it's interesting to me because the fool clearly feels like something is wrong, but isn't really telling that to Fitz. And it's not necessarily that he feels something is wrong. He just doesn't know why he said it. So it's, it is, like I said, very subtle in that. It almost seemed like his idea to say it out loud, but he doesn't really know the reasoning behind why he said it. Right. So he's just kind of dismissing it as something that, well, I I say random stuff all the time that I don't always know why. Yeah. (laughs) So. Which also is really funny to think about. Right. (laughs) Like maybe he's mean not on purpose just because he has like 
an out loud thinking voice, (laughs) (laughs) which is relatable. But either way, Fitz was freaked out, but is now like, oh, yeah, well, I guess the fool is a little weird sometimes and has brushed it off. Yeah. And that's when he kind of thinks about how razor sharp the fool's humor was in Buckkeep and that it cuts so much more deeply. Yes. And as a rereader, I am left screaming, come on, Fitz, figure it out. (laughs) But he does not hear me. So then continue on. Late afternoon wore on, and they go deeper and deeper into the valley, passing streams and and things like that. And they get drawn into this forest slash old swampy area. And Ketrickin makes a comment, so much life here. Her words seem to hang in the still, sweet air. I found myself nodding in agreement. So much life around us, both green and animal. It filled my wit sense and seemed to hang in the air like a mist. After the barren stones of the mountains and the deserted skill road, this abundance of life was heady. Then I saw the dragon. Before we get into that, though, I, I, the so much life here seems to echo retroactively, but echo Fitz's thoughts of the wit. So I thought yes. pointing that out was a nice, nice little subtle nod to Ketrickin does have a very small amount of old blood in her right and i think it's interesting that it took her longer to think of that probably because now it's much more obvious that or there's way more living things clear to them which i guess could mean that she's just using her regular senses to be like hey whoa i after the absence i didn't notice but maybe there's a little bit of that wit creeping in and she feels more things again that she probably didn't realize she was missing Either way, there's a dragon now in their path. Yes. Yeah, and they see this. Do you want to go far into the descriptions of each dragon, do you think? Because they're all kind of fanciful and have different, you know, things going on. I think it would be good to touch on some of the descriptors. Okay. There's there's pretty long paragraphs describing this thing, because this is the first time that Fitz has seen one up close. This one is more lizard-like. It has some feather tufts. Like like scales around uh, its eyes and its crest and things like that, but it is extremely lifelike. It is massive. It is beautifully colored. It is perfect. It looks like a living, breathing dragon. Yes, it is golden green mm-hmm. and a he apparently, which I made note because the next yes. dragon Fitz comes across is, a is she. distinctly she. Yes, there's a long breathless moment where they're. Exchanging glances, Ketrickin and Fitz, and they are frozen. Fitz kind of draws his sword, and they're just sitting there for a long, 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 long time. And at last, Ketrickin kind of motions them forward. They creep past it, and <laughs> Fitz is sweaty and in relief, and his limbs are kind of shaking because who knows what could have happened if they woke that beast, you know? Right. He also notes that the sword against a dragon seems a silly toothpick because it's such a large being. I mean, it says that its head is the size of a horse. And I think it's so interesting how big this dragon is because we, the rereader, know this is a skill dragon, not Mm -hmm. a real dragon. And all I'm thinking of is how many people did it take to make that? Probably six. You think only six people for something with the head alone That's being the size of a horse? Standard-ish size of coteries. Yeah. 
And Verity makes one himself. Yeah, but is his that big? I guess I don't remember it being described. You'll I'm have to thinking... pay attention to the descriptions, but I think it's almost that big. I guess in my mind, as it stands, Verity's dragon is like the size of a little bit older than baby elephant. Like, <laughs> I guess baby elephants are kind of small in comparison to elephants. <laughs> so maybe like in between a baby and a full grown elephant. Like a juvenile elephant or yeah. something. Yeah. Like that's the size mm-hmm. I'm picturing. Not like 10 horses. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's massive. Yeah. Uh, th- I guess. I don't know. During that pause after they're trying to, you know, like shrug off. Oh, my gosh. We just past a dragon Fitz looks over at the fool who is staring at another one so they whip around and see this one and this one is described as a rich coppery brown it is a another quote unquote dragon nestled deep into the forest but that's kind of where the similarity ends and Fitz doesn't even know really why they would both encompass the word dragon because this one reminds him more of a hind than a lizard has a spiraling up shining horn, wickedly sharp at the tip. Four limbs folded beneath her to put me more in mind of, you know, the hind, as he says. So, very different. They all have yes. wings. It also has a more... very different. Yes, also has a more bird-like face. Mm-hmm. I do want to stop here because this is a second, and it is a she. And I'm wondering why Fitz is so convinced... It, the last one was a he and this one is a she, especially because we know this is not just one person. Coteries, I my thought is that coteries usually have a leader, mm-hmm. someone who is directing their efforts. And that would be the final, you know, identity mm. of the dragon at the end. OK, just like how Verity as a dragon is a he because it's mainly Verity directing that effort. Mm. Even if Kettle put her, all of herself into it as well. Right, right. It's mainly Verity. It, but it is really interesting that Fitz... Or like King Wisdom, for example. Right. His coterie probably had women in it as well. Right. But it's King Wisdom's dragon. It's a he. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting because I, I didn't even think about it the first time. Mm-hmm. And when I was trying to reread it this time, knowing what they are... <laughs> I was like, how would he be so sure? And I thought I definitely had your idea that it was probably because of whoever the coterie leader is. Um, I was hoping it wasn't just because like this one's smaller <laughs> and the other one is big. This and one's beefy. pink. Yeah. <laughs> the other one was blue. So it has to be a boy dragon. And No, I, I think it comes down to his wit sense of them. He has not quite realized that they still feel like alive to him and he can pinpoint that. Right. But... He's operating on the assumption that they are because I think subconsciously he can feel that. Yes. That they, they have some sense to them. And I feel like that comes along with that that old blood sense. Because I, I can't remember if it's exact things, but he can kind of pick out, oh, that's a she bear coming towards me. You know, right. like, things yeah. like that. Yeah. I don't know. Either way, it's really interesting and um, one detail that I don't think that we're, we have gotten across so far is that both of the dragons they've come across have been nestled down into mm-hmm. the leaves and moss. It, Fitz says it looks nest-like and that it seems as though they had mate 
it, the way he's describing it, it almost feels like they bedded down for the night, like they made a nest for themselves recently. And it's also overgrown. They're also overgrown as well. Yes, but, yes. but he hasn't noticed that part yet. So as they're waiting for this, because it's so silent and they don't know what to do, Ketrikin puts forward that she doesn't think that they're alive. I think they're clever carvings of stone. My wit sense told me otherwise. They're alive, I cautioned her in a whisper. I started to quest toward one, but Night Eyes near panicked. I drew my mind touch back. I think this is really interesting because Night Eyes is really freaked out too. It's probably the biggest predator he's ever seen <laughs> in his life or felt in his life. Right, but I. It's so interesting because. Night Eyes didn't get like that with a bear. No, because that's a natural thing that he knows. Oh, I suppose. That his, his mother knew and passed down. This is literally the top of the food chain that is supposed to humble the humans, right? right? And wild animals are scared of humans, naturally. Right. Like, that's like, they go out of their way to avoid humans in the wild. Dragons are a tier above that where humans would probably go out of their way to avoid in the wild, you know? <laughs> right. So this is orders of magnitude beyond what Night Eye should be near, I think, in his mind, or that yeah. that's probably the feeling. Also, since it's not a natural dragon, I'm wondering if it feels slightly unnatural or he can, if he's more in tune with, like, this is a multitude of different things combined into one or how that works for him. Because I, I really don't know. Right. I guess I where I'm coming from is it just seems odd. Not because I, this wouldn't be scary. Like, I under, <laughs> I get that seeing a giant dragon would be scary. Be, especially because Fitz has some knowledge of dragons and he would have been able to impart that to Night Eyes. But it's so odd to me because they are stone. So then it begs the question of can F Night Eyes by himself feel the life energy that they give off or is this because he's connected to Fitz and they are the share connection through the wit that his feelings are amplified and that freaks him out it makes me think that he can feel a little bit himself because when Black Rolf is talking about old blood and how Old blood typically gets partnered up mm -hmm. with their bond partner. He kind of implies that the animal also has to be very willing and also has to have that open mind and want for that open connection. So it almost seems to imply that that animal has to be strongly witted, quote right. unquote, even though it's probably different for animals versus humans. Right. And I'm, I don't think... I I think they would be able to communicate with one another through like animals to animals. Yeah. But they largely choose not to. Because that's what we had guessed previously, right? For um, passing messages along. Right. Yeah. With like Holly passed through her hawk kind of passing to people. And like we heard mm -hmm. from Black Rolf, the small ferret or whatever, got this message. That's kind of how we were assuming that they passed messages along was either through sense or like memories or something like that from right. animal to animal. So some sort of communication has to be there. So I'm guessing Night Eyes himself can kind of feel something like that. Right. And the touch that Fitz is reaching out with, I 
would guess would terrify him because what if you wake it? Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> fair. I guess I just think about never, it. Never touch a sleeping bear and said this is a sleeping dragon. <laughs> I think about it, too, I think because Night Eyes has made such an emphasis on the fact that when Fitz uses the skill, he cannot follow. So it made me wonder, does that mean he can follow when Fitz reaches out through the wit because it is something that they share? I think he would be still kind of connected, yeah. So, whereas I imagine anything that happens on the other end of a skill, Night Eyes cannot hear or see unless, unless Fitz it's directly so, talks to him about yeah, it. Yeah, or unless somebody is directly contacting Fitz. Yes, yeah. Anything Fitz does away in the skill, mm-hmm. Night Eyes is blind to. But, yeah, so I don't know. So I think that specifically got my attention because I've been thinking a lot about what the parameters of the magic are, which obviously I'm not going to find out, (laughs) but I'm making my own rule book up in my head. So (laughs) I like to keep an eye out for things that could potentially give me answers. So Ketrikin and Kettle both go to inspect these dragons and are exclaiming over all the exquisite details on these carvings and how beautifully they're done. And meanwhile, the wolf and I held back. Hackles stood up all along a night eye's back. He did not growl. Instead, he gave a whine so high, it was almost like a whistle. After a moment, I realized that fool had not joined the others. I turned to find him regarding it from afar, as a miser might look on a pile of gold larger even than his dreams. There was the same sort of wideness to his eyes. Even his pale cheeks seem to hold a rosy flush. And it moves on to Ketrikin calling out, saying, Hey, come and look at this, Fitz. You know, there's there's another one that it looks like a antlers of a stag, but a face of a man. Come over here and come over here. There's like new details. There's new ones kind of popping up. And just as a, and as a side, I think that one is the wisdom one. The antlered. I'm not sure. I don't remember, to be honest. I think in the later chapters, he kind of has a conversation. I think it's with that one. I thought it was what if I'm now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like it was the boar. But oh, obviously it? I could be wrong. I have mm. no idea. But I, yeah, I guess we don't remember. We'll have to come yeah. to it. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> Fitz is trying to move forward and, and looking at these because he's very loathe to approach because he's still kind of terrified of what these things actually are he's looking at the lungs and the ribs and they're not actually like pumping with air you know he's trying to convince himself that it is a statue and he says that out loud it's a statue there's also spider webs in the whole the hoof of Mm -hmm. the creature and they see another one where it's boar-like, as you said. Mm-hmm. It was sprawled on its side, and the tusks that protruded from its snout were as long as I was tall. In all ways, it resembled the forest pig that Night Eyes had killed, save for its immense size and the wings tucked close to its side. I spy at least a dozen of these things, the fool announced. And behind those trees, I found another carved column, such as we have seen before. He set a curious hand to the skin of the sculpture then almost winced away at the cold contact. I cannot believe they are lifeless stone, I told him. 
I, too, have never seen such realistic detail in a carving, he agreed. I did not try to tell him that he had misunderstood me. Instead, I stood pondering a thing. Here I sensed life, but there was only cold stone under my hand. It had been the opposite with forged ones. Savage life obviously motivated their bodies, yet my wind sense regarded them as but cold stone. I groped for some sort of connection, but found only the odd comparison. Here he's so close. He's, he's so close. So close. Before we, we talk about that connection and why it seems odd to him, a little bit into that relationship, more so of, of how he's thinking about that. It is kind of polar opposite, and he has described the Forged Ones as dead to him. Yes. Right? They, they are, in all intents and purposes, dead in his senses. And here... The statues are alive, even though they're quote-unquote statues. Yes. Which leads into that connection part. Yes. And it's really interesting because nobody's really listening to Fitz. Yeah. When Ketrickin says, I think they're alive, Fitz is saying, no, they're definitely just, you know, they're slumbering for like for winter. I don't know why they're still asleep, but, and Ketrickin goes for it and touches them anyway and is like, nope, they're they're, They're definitely stone. stone. Yeah. And it's so interesting because nobody's thinking, hey, maybe this is a wit thing and this is something important. I think they just are convinced that he's confused by the illusion. And I wonder if that stems from the fact that nobody else here is witted. Nobody has experienced yeah. the wit. They don't understand that he can literally feel life. And I know that we said Ketrickin is a little bit touched by it, but I don't think in a way that's useful for her to be able to understand what he means. I think the level that she's at, even if she feels something from this stone, she could brush it off as, oh, it's just because the artwork is so amazing. I right. feel like it's alive. And she's not actually aware of her abilities either, really. Right, yeah. So I do feel a little bit bad for Fitz in this moment because he is surrounded by this strange garden of statues and he has no idea what's going on and nobody realizes that it's weird that something is wrong so that's like a fun i don't i guess i don't know if fun is the right word but that's an interesting revelation to have and then he gets so close to what forging is yeah yeah Basically giving up that life force, that that wit sense, mm -hmm. that wit spark, putting it into a skill stone so it can live forever. But it removes it from the body and forging is only partial. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember if you got anything out of this your first read through? I don't think I did. I think I was very confused on mm -hmm. what was happening. I thought... I don't know exactly what I thought about these statues, if Fitz was correct in that they are alive right. or anything like that. I think I had some theories that they were, but I didn't really give any credence to the forged connection. Interesting. I think I almost got it. I, I may be tooting my own horn and wrongly so, but from what I remember, I think I was pretty close in my guess after reading this. I don't really remember which part I got wrong, but I was I think maybe I thought that these were real creatures and that they took 
life force from people. And so that like maybe they were elderly. I know, yeah, that but I was thinking like they were doing it like people couldn't give their life force. It was like a they would wake up and suck it out of you or something. Oh. So I was like, not right. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost. But so my idea was just that the Red Ship Raiders had one of these beasts. Mm, yeah. And that it was awake. Yeah, pretty so, close. Pretty yeah. close. Because I remember being really, really close after reading that. Like, oh, I'm going to solve it all. But I also like really, I normally like reading books that have puzzles to solve. So, <laughs> so I'm like constantly reading books in a way that is trying to find out what happens before the pages tell me what happens, which I don't think is the way you read. So <laughs> that's why I was curious. I'm just kind of long for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> which is probably a more relaxing way to read. <laughs> but Fitz is stood here. He's in the garden and he is wondering, why are we here? This is definitely the place marked on the map. Right. But why? Which I want to say, yes. we kept saying stone was probably the quarry. I forgot that this was the place that was marked. Yes. So it was not the quarry. It's like the stone garden where all the dragons live. <laughs> but Fitz has a really good question of why is it important? It has to yeah. be something super important for it to make it onto an important map. Mm-hmm. But also for all these things to be here. Because why are all these things here? These are, they don't really match. And so he goes to find Ketrikin to ask these questions of her. He confirms that this, that they are where the map is. And Ketrikin says that she thinks that they are where a lake shore once was. Yes. Based on how she's been reading the map. Which fits kind of, kind of agrees with thinking back to Verity's map as well. Seeing that there was kind of a lake and yeah. things like that. And that it probably became a swamp over time from mm-hmm. lack of care. And then he asks her what she thinks the statues signify. And she doesn't really seem to know either. A garden or a park of some kind, perhaps? I looked around us and shook my head. Not like any garden I've ever seen. The statues seem random. Should not a garden possess unity and theme? At least, so patience taught me. Here I see only sprawled statues with no sign of paths or beds or... Ketrikin, are all the statues of sleeping creatures? And she says yes, and also that they're all winged. So there's your unity fits. <laughs> But it is a really interesting moment because, first of all, Patience taught Fitz that gardens have unity, which a little funny knowing Patience because I can't imagine a garden Patience would grow that would be like. Have a pattern. Yeah. Some sort of (laughs) direction. Any type of unity or theme. But it is an interesting way to think about it of this doesn't make sense. These statues seem placed so randomly. And we know that's because the statues were at one point alive, I guess. (laughs) And so they place themselves there. They don't, you know, they weren't put there by any sculptor. Mm -hmm. And so Fitz is wondering if this is a graveyard instead. It's looking at all these statues and be like, 
maybe it was important for that reason. And Ketrickin's like, why isn't why is a graveyard on the map? And he's like, why is why would a park be on the map? <laughs> or, yeah, <laughs> a garden. You know, yeah, or a garden. So yeah, they have no idea and just kind of have to decide that they're gonna go forward. Yes. And Fitz also notices now that he's looking that these have been here a really long time, some longer than others. And he notices that the trees he thought the statues had been placed in between are actually growing around Mm -hmm. the statues, that there is a lot of time that has passed. There are spider webs and dust, but despite the time that has clearly passed, There's no blemishes. There's no blemishes. There's no cracks. There's no chips, anything on these. And the color is still perfect. Yeah. And he doesn't know how the color is on there. It's not painted. It's not, you know, it's a natural color to these stones for an unnatural reason. (laughs) Yes. Which I also think is really cool about the skill stone that when they create, whenever the coteries were able to create these beings, that you can make them colored so, so that they aren't just like a great black and silver statue. They are, you know, I don't know, interwoven. Uh, they look they're, real. They're real. They're, yeah. yeah. With the frustration and not finding any answers, Fitz decides to take a bath. And apparently everybody else had the same idea because when he gets back to camp, everybody looks, they're all a little bit wet still and people are hanging up clothes to dry. Mm-hmm. This is the first chance they've had to get clean. He observes Starling looking off into space, seemingly not angry at the moment, and kind of watches her compose a song in her head about this. This chapter is a little weird to me because it almost feels like out of nowhere, Fitz has a little bit of a crush on Starling. I don't know if you agree with that sentiment. I don't think it's out of nowhere, first of all. Well, that's fair. And second of all, I don't know if it's it might be a little bit of a crush, but I think it's more so like a longing for any sort of connection at all. I take him pretty much at face value because he's writing these memoirs or whatever from a place of severe loneliness about his loneliness in the moment. (laughs) Right. So I I really do think with that common theme running through all of these chapters that he feels entirely alone from human connection, really. Yeah. And Starling was the only one who didn't know him before he became what he is now. Well, Kettle, you know, like, too. Yeah, Kettle, too, but... She's old, so... <laughs> <laughs> and a teacher and, like, kept secrets and, right. you know... Yeah, I, I, I really think that he is kind of missing Starling. I guess what I mean by coming out of nowhere is just that for the past several chapters, we've heard about Starling. We know what's going on with Starling, but there's, it's just kind of like, there's your two sentence update on Starling. Whereas this chapter, there's so much longing almost in his gazes. And I I don't know. It just feels weird to me. It feel it. That's why I think it feels more crush like because Mm. it's all of a sudden thinking about how, it would be so nice to be with a woman again and she's a woman and I I don't know, it was just the vibe of like, mmm, a woman, woman flesh, and then like, oh yeah, Molly. But 
I don't think we've seen that with Starling since when they first started their journey. I, I don't think he's quite thinking those thoughts either. Well, this, I'm, but... I, I'm exaggerating a little. Yeah, but, just a little. <laughs> but he is, he is, every time he looks at her, thinking about how they used to lay back to back on the campfire. And he's missing mm-hmm. her touch. And that doesn't have to be in a sexual way, obviously. But it just felt weird to me and out of place because... Well, we there, haven't. I there's don't know. two things. One, he had the conversation with Ketrickin about That's her true. recently. So it brought her more to mind. And two, it is a literary device because we're going to have a long conversation with her shortly. So yeah. this chapter is bringing up the issues that Fitz has had with her in the past to introduce and preface that conversation. That's a good point. I guess I didn't think about the conversation he had with Ketrickin. And how that would affect moving forward, how he's looking at Starling. Yeah, I, I think it's partially that and partially Robin Hobb wants to contextualize where Fitz is feeling uh, or how Fitz is feeling on the whole Starling situation going into that conversation. So the right. reader hasn't lost their way of this is the actual stance that Fitz has and why right. it's like that. So this is how it's the conversation is going to go. So I think it's a little bit of both. Hmm. Okay. Well, either way, Starling seems to be writing a song and (laughs) Fitz is enjoying watching her work. Yeah. And Night Eyes is pressing up against him saying, like, I don't like denning amidst these sleeping stones. Fitz observes, it does seem as if any moment they might awaken. Foreshadowing a little bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Although Kettle says, I do not think so. She almost sounded as if she grieved. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think... I say again because I'm echoing what she has <laughs> said previously in other chapters. I don't think she knows, but I think she surmises as her favorite phrases. You know, she's guessing that this is the result of what the Coteries are doing. I don't know for sure, but that's my thought. Right. I wish she would say that thought to Fitz though <laughs> yeah you know it would probably help him connect a few dots but I guess we still have like kettle, a good she, chunk of, cha- of chapters left so she hasn't really confronted what she did in the past yet she hasn't like let go of her traumas or anything like that so she's True. still very secretive about things and doesn't want to do anything amidst the camp at the moment True, but she does seem sad which makes me wonder if she thinks that once they like I wonder if in her mind she thinks a coterie makes a dragon, flies around for a little bit, and then, like, sleeps forever. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Which, then why would you make a dragon? (laughs) Like, I guess why not? Then you get to fly, but... You join the skill stream, you know? You could do that anyway, and you wouldn't have to work hard to make a dragon. I don't know. All I'm saying, (laughs) what would be the... The want to live forever. I don't know. I feel like you could do that with a skill no matter what you do. I don't think you can, actually, because all the descriptions about it is if you enter the skill stream by yourself, you're getting tattered away. All of who you are is getting stripped from you and you're kind of melting into the rest of the stream. As a dragon, you are choosing a few select people or like have a few select close people and kind of melding into that so you're Mm -hmm. more solid for the rest of your life. Or rest of eternity. Hmm. So I, I feel like you would re- retain more of an identity with the dragon rather than just 
letting yourself fall into the skill stream, you know? I guess. I don't know. I'm not fully convinced. Yeah, you have thoughts on that from later books and stuff? Yeah. So do I. We'll, we'll bring we'll them up. We'll get there. You know? yeah. <laughs> the Fool asks a pointed question here after Ketrigan decides to move on, saying, what if Verity isn't at the last step? And Ketrigan basically has to respond, I can't think of that right now. I have this move to make. And when we get there, we'll see what happens. And Fitz kind of puts that into the mindset of the stone game because that's all he's been thinking about for the past week. Right. So he's like, oh, this is her one last move for possible victory. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, that's not a good way to be thinking about real people. So I need to get out of here. (laughs) And Night Eyes offers him an out. Mm -hmm, To go hunting. Yes. The fool declines again, or at least isn't paying attention at all at this point. When Fitz says he's going to go hunt, Kettle raises up some objections of whether he should go alone. Ketrikin. Oh, Ketrikin does? Okay. Ketrikin does. Raises some objections. To which Fitz is like, this is the calmest I've been in a long time. We're far away from the skill road. So I feel okay. And Ketrikin notes that it doesn't matter how far away we are from the skill road, that obviously people who worked the skill were here, and you never know when you can accidentally come upon Mm -hmm. something heavily skilled and that could be bad so he should not go alone starling volunteers to go with him if anyone besides myself thought it was strange no one made a sign of it and so they go off alone with night eyes Mm -hmm. (laughs) into the darkness starling asks a couple questions about how they're hunting together and Fitz makes some short replies, but he replies to her saying, like, you know, he goes off on his own. We work really well in tandem because, you know, we've done this a lot, basically. Right. And they make a short kill of a rabbit and they clean it up and Fitz hangs it on his belt, to which Starling's like, oh, he lets you carry his meat. No, she says, does he always give up the meat to you? Oh, there you go, yeah. And he says he doesn't give it up. He lets me carry it. He knows now is the best hunting, and so he hopes to kill again swiftly. If there isn't hunting, then he knows that I will share the meat that he already has. Yes. It's a lot of trust there, and it's it's kind of contextualizing that he's not a wild animal. Yes. You know, and Starling just kind of goes, oh. (laughs) Yeah. And also, he's not a pet dog. This isn't like master and dog situation. This is two friends working together, but one of the friends doesn't have opposable thumbs. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And also, the other friend is blind in the dark. Yes. And has a removable knife. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, I think it's really interesting because he is kind of being really open to Starling, of all people, about how the wit is working. And usually he's pretty closed off about it. At the very least, he will be open because Ketrikin has commanded him to talk about it. And he's yes. like, oh, I really don't want to be saying this out in the open. But it feels like it feels like during this trip, he's kind of decided, well, it's kind of all out there. I might as well resign to the fact that... Yes. It's also really interesting because Fitz makes the note that as they are hunting, Starling follows him and she's not 
as good as he is at walking through the woods, but she's better than he expected she would be. Yeah. And that it's an interesting thing because there's this thing that some people have the ability to do, which is walking with the forest and you can learn it and you can grow that ability, but some people never learn it. And essentially it's just walking around things instead of forcing your way through. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it that you're not forcing your way through something you are just going around. And it's kind of fitting because Starling as a minstrel wouldn't be, I mean, besides the fact that she's forcing her way through on this journey, (laughs) she's not really making moves otherwise. She's just there to observe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good parallel there. Yeah. Nice, nice catch. Thank you. But as Fitz is talking about his relationship with night eyes, Starling brings up that she doesn't think that his wit bond with the wolf is offensive. And Fitz says, neither do I. (laughs) And he's feeling weird. Yeah, because it's a weird thing to just kind of like bring up out of nowhere. So I think Fitz is just kind of very defensive. And yes, also her choice of word is weird. Wording is weird. He's on his guard and she waits a little bit and then says, and I will stop calling the fool she whatever I may su- uh, suspect. That's good. I told her non-committally. I did not slow my pace. And then she finally says, do you want me to apologize as well? Starling asked in a low, strained voice. I, uh, I stammered. Very well, then, she said in an icily determined voice. I apologize, Lord Fitzchivalry. I rounded on her. Why are you doing this? And we find out that Queen Ketrickin has also had a talk with Starling. She said that Lord Fitzchivalry carried many burdens I could not know of, and he did not deserve to bear also my disapproval. And then Fitz is embarrassed, and he says none of this is necessary. He mentions that it feels like he's a spoiled child that complained to his elders and got his way all the other kids gave in and give him his way he says i do not know what made you withdraw your friendship save that i disclosed my wit to you nor do i understand your suspicions of the fool or why they seem to anger you i hate this awkwardness between us i wish we could be friends as we were before you do not despise me then Forgiving my witness that you claimed Molly's child as your get? I groped inside me after the lost feelings. It had been long since I had even thought about it. She already knew of them, I said quietly. You would have found a way, even if you had not existed. He is very... resourceful. And I have come to understand that you do not live by the same rules that I do. So, this is big, number one, because... I think this is the most open in a conversation Fitz has ever been to anyone. He says what he's feeling and what he does know. He says, I don't understand what's happening. Here's my view on it. Can can we change this? And it's big. That's like a big <laughs> growth from Fitz. <laughs> Good progress. Good progress. Yes, we love to see it. We won't see it again for a really long time, but hey. <laughs> At least he got it down once, you know? 
and it is growth as well to acknowledge that no he's still he's not angry anymore that she kind of sold his child out to go on this journey there were other ways that they could get that information or to make that happen right it was just the easiest path yeah and i think it also does a good job of showing that there are maybe other reasons why Starling was avoiding Fitz, especially with the reply of you don't hate me because of this, which is something that Fitz hasn't even taken into consideration once. And we'll get into more of the reasoning why she felt like (laughs) Fitz didn't like her as much. But I think it is important that we get this first little look of, oh, maybe Fitz isn't a reliable narrator. Maybe he doesn't actually know what's going on. And he's a little surprised. And also he was mad at her for that. But I think I get mad at my friends all the time. I think he was rightfully mad at her for that, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's the big thing I'm mad at her about. I mean, (laughs) yeah. What, does he have a right to be mad at her? Absolutely. Like, I think clearly she did something wrong. But I'm saying that, like, I get mad at my friends all the time. It doesn't mean that I yeah. I hate them forever. Right. Obviously, none of my friends have ever sold out a child I'm trying to hide <laughs> from my family members. I don't know. <laughs> but I think either way, Fitz clearly has recognized that she is not the catalyst in this situation she just is a means to an end and that even without her it would still happen all right uh i think we're gonna cut it there for right now this is going to be a long chapter and a long discussion coming up so we'll kind of cut it there and pick it up next week i suppose yeah with all these end chapters there's a lot that has to be fit in especially with the end of a series yes and I we're, think. we're not even within the last like 10 chapters either <laughs> well i think as it gets closer to the end there will be more two-parters yes. just because there's so much to fit in and to talk about and mm-hmm. also more tangents to go on so so thank you so much for tuning in if you want to reach out and talk to us about this part of the episode please email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can contact us directly at isfitshappy at facebook instagram or twitter thanks so much for tuning in we look forward to hearing from you 